And so this will be the last of the lessons in practical wisdom from Proverbs. Um, in the past couple weeks, I've done different topics that I've seen uh, you know, quite a bit in Proverbs about. Uh, we talked about uh, wisdom and how we speak. We talked about wisdom in relationships. Uh, being the last week, I wanted to cover a bunch of different things, so we're going to do some quick hits on several topics, eight in fact, uh, that are covered at different points in Proverbs. Uh, and hopefully, um, hopefully this will be beneficial to you in looking at different areas. One of the things, if I had one more week, I was going to do the first topic here uh, as a full week, so we're going to go over that one very briefly, but there's a lot on it. Um, and then several others I think are important things to see, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive right in here. Heavenly Father, we do praise you, Lord. We thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the message from First Kings uh, about how uh, in, just within a generation things can turn around, Lord. And we pray that you would help us if um, there's areas in our life that we need to turn towards you, that we would do that, Lord, that we would uh, give our lives, our, our every thought, our motivations, our actions over to you, Lord, that we could live for you. Uh, Lord, we just pray as we study Proverbs that you give us wisdom, that we'd see areas in our life uh, that your word uh, does give us this practical wisdom for, and that we would align our lives to what you would want them to be. Lord, we just thank you for this time now. Help us to uh, be diligent and uh, concentrate in our study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so one topic that appears over and over in Proverbs, in fact, probably half the book covers, is dealing with uh, the righteous and the wicked. Um, that's not one that I decided to tackle because it's just a large thing. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you want something to read and study, uh, I, I would do a read through Proverbs and just look at what the Bible says about being righteous and being wicked. I think you'll, you'll be amazed at how much of Proverbs covers that. Uh, so we're not going to do that, but we've got uh, eight different things here that we're going to look at this morning, eight different topics. Uh, and I call this wisdom in other areas because that's what it is. We're just looking at these different areas. Uh, so the first thing we're going to look at is having wisdom in our work, wisdom in how we work. Um, and you'll see this, this is a little bit different formatted than it is in the past, but I think it will work. Um, wisdom in work. Um, I think one of the first things we see from Proverbs about work is that hard work has its own reward. Uh, as we work hard, God blesses that. God uh, gives reward to those who are diligent in their work. Um, I'm going to do this like we've done this in past weeks. I'll just pick out one person to read for each, each uh, main point here. Um, so somebody, there's about, uh, it looks like there's about uh, eight verses here. Who would like to read first? Jonathan, you got it? So we look at these two verses here, and um, some of this applies in uh, several of these points, but I wanted to put them in uh, one place at least so that we can see some of this. But hard work has its own reward. You look at the ant here, and in verse 8 it says, uh, it provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Because the ant works hard, there's provision that's provided. And that's kind of the idea for us for work. As we do our work, as we're diligent in it, we're able to provide for ourselves. And more importantly, God is able to provide for us as we work. 
And so God wants us to work hard. He wants us to be diligent because there's a benefit to us there. And then in Proverbs 10 there, uh, it talks about the hand of the diligent makes rich. Um, this is not to say that if you work hard, you're going to be some kind of billionaire or something like that. But you're going to have your needs supplied. You're going to be able to uh, take care of yourself, take care of your family as you work hard and as you do what's right and as you put effort into doing your work. So hard work has its own reward. It, it provides for you. It gives you the things that you need. Um, letter B here, laziness is not doing what needs to be done. I'm, I'm trying to give you a definition of laziness and we'll talk about it. Laziness is not doing what needs to be done. Jonathan, you want to get those two verses? And here we see that the lazy person, the first thing I see in these first two verses here talk about that he looks outside and says, there's a lion outside, there's a lion in the streets. Well, what is this? This is making excuses for not doing what he should do. He knows he's supposed to go outside, do his work, do what God requires him to do, but he's making up excuses. There's a lion out there. I can't go out there. I'm going to be injured. And that's what we need to avoid in our life is making excuses for not doing what God wants us to do. Um, the Proverbs 26, it goes on to say, as the door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy man in his bed. He needs to get out of bed and do something, but he's just turning back and forth, back and forth, because he doesn't want to get out of bed. He doesn't do what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, the lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, wearies him to bring it to his mouth. He's so lazy that he can't even get the effort to feed himself, to bring the food to his mouth. That's something you need to do. You need to eat, and he's too lazy to do that. And then the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Well, what does this have to do with not doing what he's supposed to do? Uh, the idea is the whole book of Proverbs talks about that we're to seek wisdom. We're supposed to seek her out diligently. We're supposed to seek the Lord and, and, and learn his knowledge. The lazy man's too lazy to do that. But he thinks it's okay. He thinks, oh, I, I know. But he doesn't take time to really know who God is and what God wants for him. And so the laziness is not doing what needs to be done. And you can look at Proverbs 12, 27 later. Um, let us see here, laziness brings about ruin. Jonathan, go ahead and read those three verses. And so I think Proverbs is very clear, and you see the whole list of verses that I added there that we're not going to look at. Proverbs is very clear that if you're not willing to be diligent and do the work that God has given you, that you're going to come to ruin, that, that you're going to be impoverished, you're going to um, 
your, your life is not going to work out the way it's supposed to here. I like uh, Proverbs 18.9. He who is slothful in work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. So by saying a brother here, it's, they're related. They're, they're the same type of person. So the person who's lazy in his work is just like somebody who destroys things. Because the lazy person, in essence, by not doing what he's supposed to do, is, is destroying his future, is destroying what God wants to provide for him. In Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 here, in verse 33 especially, it says a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest. Now, it's good to rest. It's good to get some sleep. Um, I know I've had, been struggling with sleep for the last year or so, and I would really love to get a full night's sleep one of these nights, and I'm waiting for that. So it, it, sleep is a good thing, but when you're sleeping when you're not supposed to be, that's bad. And when you do that, it says your poverty shall come on you like a proverb and your need like an armed man. That, that You're not going to have the things you need. You're not going to be able to do the things that God wants you to do. And so laziness here brings about ruin. So overall, what we see in Proverbs about being diligent is that when we're diligent, God's able to give us the provisions we need the things that we need to survive, the things we need to keep going on. But if we're lazy, if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, then, then there, there's hardship that's going to come. There's poverty. There's, there's hard times. And so God wants us to be diligent. Now one more point here, letter D. Um, I noticed this verse, there's a right way and a wrong way to work. Jonathan, go ahead and read this one. And I think we can look around and you can say there's, there's people that are doing the right things, are doing good things, and you know, they're getting by and, and their needs are supplied, and they're, they're living okay. And then we see people who are acting wickedly, and they're doing pretty well. You know, they're making a lot of money or whatever. That doesn't seem right, does it? Well, wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. God doesn't want us to do the wrong things in order to get wealthy. God wants us to labor correctly. He wants us to do the right things. And so uh, at one point in time, I remember when we first came to Des Moines, um, I was looking for a job. I was going to seminary, and I was like, I need to provide for my family. So I applied at a number of places, and one of the places I applied for, the advertisement was, this is a place that printed stuff. And so Sue and I talked about it, and she said, you know what? They could be printing bad stuff. They could be printing pornography or something like that, you don't want to work in that type of place. I said, no, I don't. And so one of the first questions I went when I interviewed at this place is, what are you printing? Because if you're printing the wrong things, I don't want to earn my living by doing something that's wrong that displeases the Lord. Thankfully, there's a place that printed checks. Now, some of you might think checks are wrong, um, but uh, that's where I ended up working. I ended up working there for 12 years, and God provided for my family through that. So... Um, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to work, and I think you can go and look around and say, well, you might be in need of a job, you might be in need of something to do, but there's certain things that you should not pursue because there is a right way and a wrong way to work. So that's wisdom in work. Like I said, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. Um, that was the biggest one. You can see there's a lot of extra verses there. The rest of them are a little bit smaller, so they'll be a little bit easier to go through. Uh, second thing is uh, wisdom in judgment. And I, 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 I used the word judgment, and I thought I'd better define it a little bit here. This is in judgment and how, um, how we are interacting with others, how we're being fair to others, how um, we're, we're doing business kind of idea. Um, so a couple of verses, that, a couple of thoughts that came up here is the letter A, 
We should not be trying to cheat others. Um, who would like to read this section? Nathan. The author of Proverbs repeats this thought over and over, and they're saying those verses all look pretty similar. Well, they are, and I think he's making a point here that we need to be honest in dealing with people. Um, one of the things that I always struggle with is in the past, we've sold a couple of our old cars, and the idea of, well, I want to get what's fair out of it, but I don't want to overcharge. I don't want to gouge somebody. I want to be honest about the vehicle. I, I sold a 2001 Honda Accord, um, and um, there were some issues with it. And so when people came to look at it, I said, here, look, here's the issues. Here's what's wrong with it. This is what I'm asking for it. Um, one of the things that turned out is that the Honda Accord has a, a platinum, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the catalytic converter? Thank you, I was trying to think of the term. Um, and so people wanted that because they'd take it off, sell the catalytic converter, and straight pipe it through there, and um, they make money out of it. And once I realized that, I'm like, well, you're going to get this much for the catalytic converter, and you still have the car, which runs, so here, here's a fair price. But the idea of being fair to others, I, I'm not trying to cheat people um, when I'm trying to sell a car. I'm not trying to cheat people in my business. Um, in, in running my business, at times I have to come up with prices for contracts and stuff, and I have to say, this is what's fair. And that's very hard to do because, again, I don't want to gouge people. I want to do things right. God says we need to try not to cheat others. Another thing that we see here is to not show favoritism to others. Nathan, go ahead and read those two. And so we're not to show partiality to others. A verse that comes to mind in the New Testament is uh, where it talks about, I believe it's in James, um, where a poor person comes in the church and you say, here, sit at my feet, uh, but the rich person comes and you give them the best seat. And James says, this is wrong. Why are you doing this? And he makes a point that the rich people are the ones that are taking you to court. They're the ones that are suing you. They're the ones trying to get your money. So why are you giving them preference? But uh, his greater point is that God doesn't show any preference. Um, when Sue and I were young and first married, the church we were going to, um, we didn't get a lot of visitors, but one morning we, we got this lady who came in. She was very rough looking, tattoos, earrings, not really dressed for church type of idea. She came in and walked in and sat in the front of the church. Um, Sue went up and talked to her for a little bit and said something, but you know what? Nobody else in the church even noticed her or, or they, they ignored her. And that was wrong. Just because somebody looks a certain way doesn't mean we pretend they're not there or we, or we don't want any part of that. God doesn't show partiality. God wants all people to be saved. All people are created in the image of God. We need to be treating people the same no matter what. And so we need to be careful of what we're doing. I'm thankful this church, we, um, if we have any promise that we tend to pounce on people a little bit when they come in, they're new. Um, so uh, 
we, we don't seem to do that, but we need to be careful of that. We need to be careful how we treat others, that we're not showing favoritism, partiality to others. And again, it's not good to show partiality to the wicked or overthrow a righteous in judgment. So there it makes a, no distinction whether they're wicked, whether they're righteous, you don't show partiality. Um, and then to show partiality is not good. Um, it's not a good thing to do. So being wisdom in judgment. Number three here. Wisdom in taking counsel. This is a big one. This is one I wanted to cover. Um, what I mean by this is how do you take it when somebody comes to you and says, hey, look, so-and-so, you are not doing what's right. This is what God wants you to do. Your life, right now you're acting like a sinful person. You're, you're acting in sin. You need to change that. How do we handle that? Well, the Bible says a lot about that, too. Uh, letter A here, wise counsel begins by listening to the word of God. So who is our next reader? Caleb. And here you see the comparison here. So you see that we ought to be fearing the Lord. I think part of fearing the Lord is trying to understand who he is and what he wants from us. To know what he says. And the comparison here is the fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we need to start by listening to God, to listening to who he is. And how do we do that? We do that through his word, right? Um, be clear, Proverbs 13, 13. Read that one, Caleb. So he who despises the word will be destroyed. If you're despising the word, if you're not listening to it, if you're not giving it any regard, it's going to lead to your destruction. But if you fear the commandment, if you're listening, if you're acting upon that, if you're living the way God commands us, um, there's going to be reward in that. So counsel starts with the Word of God. And when somebody comes to you and gives you counsel from the Word of God, you ought to be listening to that because the Word of God is speaking to you. Um, let her be here. The wise man will listen to good counsel. Okay, we can just read through all these at once here. And you can see over and over here that receiving instruction, receiving correction, uh, all this, these are good things according to God. If someone comes to you and says, hey, look, you need to change this. You need to get this right with God. It's something we should be listening to if they're a godly person. Um, one kind of fun point here. Um, I've uh, had debates with people on whether stupid is a good word to use or not. Now, obviously, I don't think we should be calling each other stupid. That's very rude and not very encouraging. Um, but stupid is used in the Bible here, Proverbs 12.1. He hates correction. If you hate correction, you're stupid according to the Word of God. That's, that's just a foolish, bad thing that you would hate correction. God expects that we would listen, that we would hear when people are giving us instruction, especially from the Word of God, 
And we would say, okay, I need to pay attention to that. I need to act upon that. Um, we're going to talk in the next section about uh, correcting children, but I think the same idea is here. If somebody's telling you, look, there's something wrong with your life, there's something you've got to change, they're not doing it because they're being mean to you, they're doing it because they love you, because they care about you, they want to see you walk with the Lord. And so when we hear that, we need to take that seriously. A couple other points here, and I put these down here. Uh, notice a couple of these verses talk about fathers giving wise counsel. As parents, we ought to be foremost in this, that we are going to our kids and saying, hey, son, hey, daughter, this is leading you down a bad path. You need to change this. Uh, these actions aren't right. They don't please the Lord. You need to change this. Um, you know, when you have young kids and a lot of young kids, you, you have lots of opportunity for that, to instruct them in the Lord. And fathers and, and mothers, I think, ought to be leading in that. Um, and then in Proverbs 19, um, where it says, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your later days. Sometimes you get counsel and you're like, I, I don't know how that helps me now. But later on, you'll see how useful that was. And so just because you don't quite understand or just because you're not really sure about what's going on doesn't mean it's bad counsel. It might be something that in your later years, it will make you wise. And so we ought to listen to good counsel. In contrast, letter C, the fool does not heed good advice. Go ahead and read these, Caleb. In 1510, he who hates correction will die. If you're not going to listen to correction, good godly correction, it's going to be hurtful to you. It's going to hurt you. And the Bible even says that you can die from it. Um, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. Don't be that kind of person. Don't be the scoffing type of person. Listen to correction. Listen when people tell you things from the Word of God. Uh, 1532, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul. It's, it's not a benefit not to listen to somebody counseling you. It's not a benefit to yourself. You despise your own soul by not listening to the word of God when it's presented to you. Um, I remember, um, you know, we need to be careful how we give the instruction, but um, when it comes from God, we need to listen. Uh, one of the things I remember, um, and for those of you who knew Sue, she's had a very strong personality. Um, at times you could say things and she would not be happy about hearing it and stuff. So one time I had to tell her something and I didn't know how to say it. So what I came up with is, Sue, I mean this in the most loving and encouraging way possible. And then I spit out what I had to say. Um, and amazingly enough, that worked. She loved that. It was a great way to do that. So that I made that a, a part of my vocabulary with her. I, I would go to her and say, Sue, I mean this in the most loving and encouraging way possible, but that I hit this. So sometimes you may have to be a little bit careful how you say it, but if you truly love and care for a person, you're not going to let them continue in your sin. They're not, you're not going to let them continue to walk uh, uh, apart from God. You're going to say, hey, this is what's right. This is what's good. This is what you need to do. So in taking counsel, how are we taking counsel from people? Number four here, wisdom in correcting children. Who's our next reader? Nobody wants to read that. Nathan will go. Okay. 
I think here, uh, one of the things we're seeing in the world nowadays is that the world has moved away from the idea of disciplining children. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to discipline. I'm not going to promote or say no to spanking. Um, I think if you read the Word of God here, uh, let the Word of God speak. Um, so you can look at that. Uh, but in general, the, the world wants parents to be encouraging to their children. Let them be who they are. Let them do their own thing. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we need to be correcting, we need to be disciplining our children. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, if you spare the rod, you hate your son. Why is that? If you spare the rod, you hate your son. The world says if you spank somebody, that's just mean and cruel. But why does the Bible say if you, if you spare the rod, you hate your son? Because what you're doing is for their benefit, for their growth. It's so they don't end up turning out the way they shouldn't. Um, Proverbs 23 down there, 13 and 14, it says, if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You do it because you care about your children. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. It's to get them on the right path, to get them on a godly path so they do what's right, so they fear and respect the Lord and they do what God wants them to do. Um, Proverbs 22:15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. If we're not disciplining our children, guess what? The foolishness stays bound up in their heart, and they go from being foolish children to foolish adults. That's not what we should want as parents. I want my boys and girls to grow up into men and women, men and women who fear the Lord. I don't want them to stay foolish their whole life. I don't want them to be on the wrong path their whole life. Um, so if you love your children if you care about them, if you want them to be the people God wants them to be, there ought to be discipline in your house. And I know that some of you here are probably beyond your, your child years. You, you either have older kids or um, you have people, out, uh, adults um, that are out of the house. Um, some of you probably are thinking, I'm a long way from that yet. But let me just say, I'm encouraging you with this for future then. You can think about that. You have a lot of time to think about it. And... Um, understand that God wants you to discipline your children because he wants them to grow up into godly individuals. Um, notice here, too, that a disciplined child is a benefit to their parents. In verse uh, 29, verse 15, it says, a child left himself brings shame to his mother. So they're an embarrassment to you. They, they bring shame to you. And then Proverbs 29, 17 says, if you, you correct your son, he will give delight to your soul. And so it's a benefit to you as parents to do that. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard at times. Um, but this is what God wants us to do. God wants to grow godly children into godly adults. And so discipline is a, one of the ways that that happens. So in correcting children, we ought to have wisdom in correcting children. Um, number five. Uh, I was going to change this a little bit. Uh, so if you have a pen, you can do this. Um, after the in kind of put one of those little carrot arrow things and put the word not. So wisdom in not drinking alcohol. And I'm going to explain that in a second. And it, it's sad that I have to do this. I've run into a number of Christians lately um, that seem to have no problem with having a drink or two here or there. Um, and they have their reasons, and I'll, I'll go through some of them as, as I think. But I think as we read through Proverbs here, we'll see that I don't think the Bible teaches that that's Okay. Um, so I'll need a reader for these verses here. Who would like to read? Um, okay, I saw Judy first. I'll give you the next one. Go ahead, Judy. 
Wine bibbers, yeah. That spice actually there. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, in these passages, if you look carefully, there's no command not to drink, right? There's no direct command that says, do not drink wine, do not drink intoxicating drink. However, when you look at the verses that talk about drinking in Proverbs, I think you see in overall that drinking is not held in a, a good light in Proverbs. In fact, there's no benefit to it, it's hurtful, it's not a wise thing to do. And so, instead of seeing a command here, I think we see a principle in Proverbs that we as God-fearing people ought to avoid intoxicating drink. Um, it, it talks about in these passages, who's ever led astray by drinks, by these intoxicating drinks, they're not wise. It's not a wise thing to do. Um, and those who control by drink are impoverished. Um, I think you even see this in Hollywood. If you think about well, how Hollywood depicts bars and people in bars, they don't depict like the rich, powerful people in bars. It's always the low, uh, low class, the rundown, the people who don't have anything. They're the ones that are doing this because they understand the reality. Alcohol is just not good. It's not wise. Proverbs 23 highlights many of the deceptions of drinking alcohol. Um, it talks about who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes. What's well, the people who are drinking? Uh, it talks about that your eyes will see strange things, your heart will utter perverse things. You're going to see things that aren't real. You're going to say things that you never meant to say. Um, verse 35 talks about they struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. You're, you're going to suffer things because of the drink, you're not going to know that you're suffering, that you're hurt. So 
alcohol is bad. Proverbs 31 explains how alcohol impairs judgment. It's talking to the king here, um, but it says that let, let's say drink and forget the law and pervert justice. When you drink, it impairs your judgment. You don't make good, right decisions. Now, people will argue, well, you know what? Jesus turned water into wine. What about that? Well, I think when you understand the passage there and you understand what the wine is talking about, the, the, the wine here is not actually alcoholic wine, but more of a grape juice. And the idea that they brought out the best wine at the end, usually they'd serve the non-alcoholic stuff first, and then when that runs out, then you serve the alcohol to get people drunk and for, they forget about the good stuff. But it was weird because they saved the good stuff till last, which would be the non-alcoholic stuff. So Jesus didn't turn it into actual wine, most likely here. Um, and then the other thing I've heard people argue is that, well, um, in Ephesians it says, do not be drunk with wine. So the command is not to be drunk with wine, which means we can have wine as long as we don't get drunk, right? And I would say, well, first of all, it's just talking about the control. Don't let alcohol have control of you. How much alcohol does it take to have control of you? I think any little bit starts to wear away these things. Uh, but also, how are you going to get drunk if you never have a drink? Right? Isn't that wise? I'll never get to that point if I never let alcohol pass my lips. I will never be drunk with wine. So I think overall, again, there's no direct command, but I think you see the principles in Scripture and what Scripture teaches overall says for God-fearing people, we ought to avoid alcohol. And I think, oh, and then the other one, I remember there's one more, um, the passage in Timothy, where Paul says, uh, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. People say, well, see there, he's drinking wine. Well, he's doing it for a medical purpose because he has a stomach issue. And Paul's saying, take some wine. In fact, he's saying, take a little wine, not a lot, in order to help your stomach out. And this would be the same, I think, for me to argue that if a doctor prescribes some kind of drug, I'm okay with taking that because he's prescribing for a certain physical need that I have. In fact, I had kidney stones this year, as many of you already know, um, and I was prescribed some strong narcotics. And I took them because I was in a ton of pain. But I don't take them now because I don't need them now. I don't have a medical issue that makes me want to need to take narcotics. So it's for a certain need, a certain physical need, that I would do that. And, and that passage in Timothy, I think, expresses that, that there's a certain need Timothy had. And Paul says, look, it's okay. And even him saying that makes me think that Timothy was like, no, no, I can't drink, I can't drink. And Paul says, look, wait, no, it's okay for this purpose because it's a medical purpose. You can do that. So even, I think, Timothy's inclination was that it's wrong to be drinking this wine, this strong drink. And Paul had to talk him into it and say, look, you can take it for your stomach's sake, just a little bit, to help your stomach be better. Does that make sense? So I think the overall principle that we see in Scripture is that alcohol is not good for a child of God. We ought to avoid it. We ought to put it aside. So that was number five there. A few more here. Uh, wisdom and humility. And uh, Josiah, I think I promised you next, so go ahead. Uh, first, let me give you the letter here. Uh, pride is the downfall of an individual.
Pride is the downfall of the individual. Look at verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. Pride leads to shame. Uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Uh, Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Um, and then verse 16, 18, and 19. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is not a good thing. God never sees pride as a good thing. Um, in fact, my thought on pride is that pride is the root of where all our sin comes from. And why do I say that? Well, um, as Christians, we know the Word of God. We know what's right. We know what's wrong, right? So when I go and sin, I say, you know what, God, I know you told me this, but I think I know better than you, and I'm going to do what I want to do because I think it will be okay. Isn't that pride? Isn't that pride in us saying that we know better than God, that we know better than what he tells us to do, that I know, I know that there's consequences for my sin, but uh, I don't really believe that. I think I'm smarter than God. I think I can get away with this. That's, our sin comes from our pride. And so um, that's kind of my thought uh, there. If you disagree, that's fine. But I, I think that's kind of the root of where our sin comes from, is when we become too proud. So pride is the downfall of an individual. Let her be here. God honors the humble. Go ahead and read, Josiah. All three of these verses talk about that when you're humble, God's going to honor you. That he's going, to, um, he's, he's going to put you in a place of honor. And it talks about even in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 4, that riches and honor and life come to those who are humble. God wants us to be humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we ought to be humble. We ought to be humble before God. We ought to be humble before other men. Uh, Philippians 2 talks about that we consider others more important than ourselves, uh, that we give... Uh, that we set our mind on the needs of others and not on our own needs, that our mind ought to be like the mind of Christ, who, being God, humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross, right? That's our example. So God wants us to be humble. There's wisdom in being humble. It's something we need to work on because for most people, and a lot of Christians, I think, too, the most important person in the world is yourself. And we need to put that aside and say, we're not the most important person in the world. God's the most important person in the world. And then before us is even others around us. And we're actually lowest on the scale. We need to act that way. We need to live that way. We need to believe that. God wants us to be wise in our humility. Uh, number seven here, to be wise in mercy. Uh, so we see here that God rewards the merciful. Who would like to read? Another reader. Thomas, go ahead. So here, uh, you see a number of ways that those who are merciful are going to be blessed by God. 
Um, he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. If you're showing mercy to people, there's going to be a happiness in your life, in your spirit. Uh, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. It's God's mercy, after all, that bought our atonement. He looked upon our sin, and instead of punishing us for what we deserve, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. That's the ultimate form of mercy, and we ought to live by mercy. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. I don't know about you, but those are three things I could use in my life. Life, righteousness, and honor. I want that. And God says, I'm going to give that to the merciful person. Um, he has pity on the poor, and this is kind of idea of providing for the poor, giving to the poor, poor um, lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. So um, it's like, and not that the Lord needs to be lent money, I understand that, but it's like you're, you're giving money to God and saying, okay, God's going to eventually pay me back for what he's borrowing from me, and that's not how it really works because everything we have is God's. But the author of Proverbs is putting it in that kind of terms that you're going to lend to the Lord and the Lord's going to pay back and the idea is with the bountifully, gen generously, if we're, if we're giving, if we're showing mercy to those around us. So God rewards the merciful. And let her be here, the merciful do good for themselves also. It's not just a benefit to the people that we're merciful to, but mercy has a good benefit for us. Thomas, go ahead and read those two verses. So Proverbs 11, 17, the merciful man does good for his soul. It's a benefit to you to be merciful. It helps you. It, 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 it makes your life better. Uh, it gives the contrast there. He who is cruel troubles his own flesh. You know, most of us want to take care of ourselves. Most of us want to you know, keep ourselves safe, keep ourselves healthy, uh, whatever. And God says if you're merciful, that's going to be a benefit to your own soul. Um, Proverbs 20, 28 speaks to the king, but the same idea is here. Mercy and truth preserve the king. How does the king stay in power? Well, he's truthful and he's merciful. And if it's a benefit for the king, it's a benefit for us. So the merciful do good for themselves also. And then let us see here, the merciful live a lifestyle of mercy. One more verse, Thomas, Proverbs 12.10. So a righteous man here regards the life as animal, and the second part talks about tender mercy. So I, I think he has this idea that even if you're merciful, not only are you merciful to people, but your whole lifestyle acts that, that you're even you know, merciful to your animals, which are not nearly as important as people. Um, I don't care if you have a cat or dog and that's your baby or whatever. That's not really true. That's an animal. Okay, um, sorry to pop anybody's bubble on that. But the, the merciful person just lives a lifestyle of mercy. In fact, it, to something as unimportant as an animal, they still will show mercy. So merciful live a lifestyle of mercy. Um, one last point here, number eight here, uh, having wisdom and generosity. Two verses. So who's ever the shy reader? Okay, Bethany, go ahead. Her hand is like ready for this one.
Yep, then that's, that's the point there. God blesses those who are generous. And there's two verses here. Uh, it talks about that the generous soul will be made rich. Well, who's going to make him rich? God will. A blessing will be on the head of him who sells the grain, who is generous with his goods. And then in 22.9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed. God wants us to be generous. God wants us to be generous, not just with our possessions, but with our time, with our interests, with our compassion, with our love. God wants us to be generous to those around us. And there's wisdom in being generous. So, again, these are quick hits. I didn't do a lot of in-depth on these. Um, there's a lot of good verses you can look at and review this. Um, if we had 10, 12 weeks, I could do these individually. But uh, kind of a number of different areas that Proverbs talks about, just regular areas in our life, our work, our judgment, how we interact with others, how we take counsel from others, how we correct our children, uh, what we do about drinking and our humility and our mercy and in our generosity, just different areas where Proverbs gives us uh, some wisdom that we can follow and we can apply in our lives. Um, before I close, I'm going to open up for any questions or comments anybody has. It's okay if there are none, but I'd like to do that. Yes, Sarah. I, I do. Um, what the Bible talks about is that if uh, someone demands your tunic, you give them your shirt also type idea. Um, so I think there's some point where um, I, think, I think we need to be wise and, and you know, if we know that it's, it's, it's somebody who's really trying to take bad advantage of us and it's going to be a bad situation, I think we, we're wise and we say, okay, hold on a second. Um, one of the policies at the church is somebody comes and says, hey, I need some food, I need some gas, can you give me some money? The idea is we don't give them the money. We say, okay, we'll take you to the gas station, get you some gas, we'll take you to the store, buy you some food, because we know that people will take advantage of the generosity and use the money for stuff that they shouldn't be using it for. So you have to be wise to some extent, but I think even if you're generous and you get taken advantage of, God's going to reward you for that generosity. I don't think you can go wrong with that. Um, so I know that doesn't really answer it <laughs> very well. We had, um, when we were in North Carolina, we lived on this cul-de-sac. And uh, it was really nice. It had a grassy middle. The kids could play out there, and especially in January when it was nice in North Carolina. Um, we had uh, one Saturday evening, this minivan pulled into a cul-de-sac, and we were outside, and they stopped and talked to us, and they said, well, we really need tires badly. We're traveling, and our tires are getting worn out or something. I don't know what it all was. They were wondering if we could help. Well, you know, you look at, if you think of the situation from a worldly point of view, they're, they're traveling already with bad tires, and they have taken care of their tires before they left. So, you know, what's going on? We decided just to be generous, and we, we got them new tires. We went over to Sears because that was about the only place that was open on Saturday evening. We got a new set of tires, and they were like, oh, that's great, we'll, we'll, we'll write to you, we'll pay you back. It never happened. Um, and that's okay. You know, God used us, and maybe they took advantage of us, but I think it was good that we were generous to people that had a need. Um, and I don't regret doing that. Um, you know, we... So I, I, I don't think... 
even if you are taking advantage of, even if somebody takes it too far, you can't go wrong in being generous because God commands us to be generous. Um, now, like I said, I think you can be wise in it if somebody says, I need $100 cash to get some food. You can say, no, I'm not going to give you $100 cash. I'll take you to the store and get you some food. And I'll go, um, I'll bring my husband with me because I'm not going to go to the store alone with you type of, I mean, you, you want to be smart, but, um, but I, I don't think, again, the Bible doesn't ever say, be generous except for when this happens or this happens or this happens. So that's kind of how I would answer that. Good question. Any other questions, thoughts? concerns. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for the study we've had the last four weeks in Proverbs. I pray that uh, it would be a benefit to us as we hear your word and as we see what your word says about different everyday situations and every, everyday ideas that uh, we have that we would align with what your word says, Lord. Uh, help us to walk in our ways. Help us to be people who walk in righteousness and not in wickedness, Lord, and that we would uh, display the character of Christ in our lives. Uh, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the teaching of your word, both in the morning service and Sunday school. We thank you for our fellowship we have. We thank you for the time that uh, we could worship you, understanding that every moment of our lives ought to be an act of worship towards you. Uh, Lord, just help us to see that and help us to do that. Uh, we thank you again. You are lifted up. You are the glorious one. You are holy and righteous, and we love you. Uh, we thank you for everything that you have done in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.